Imagine what it'd be like if we were really curious about each other. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Relational Spirituality, the weekly podcast of LargerStory.com, the podcast that sees all relationships as spiritual and all spiritual formation as relational. Now, here's your host for this week, Carlene Cannon. Welcome back, Larger Story family. We're so glad that you have joined us for the rest of this story. We talked last week about some things that God had done in me through what happened back at the Larger Story Summit a couple of years ago. And little did I know at the time that it was just the beginning of what really is an even bigger story you're going to hear about today. And we ended last week talking about this email that I sent to explain why I left the summit. And there was part of me just, I don't even know if I've shared this with you, Roseanne, but part of me almost didn't send it because it felt defensive. Like I've somehow tried to justify why I'm leaving. And yet in me that I thought, I'm going to share it. God needs to get the credit for this. And I want people to know not why I'm leaving. I did want it. I ha- I did honestly want to justify leaving, but I, I wanted more to show what God was doing at the summit through Larry and his life that was in some ways bizarre. So I just sent the email and just was like, whatever you want to do with this, Lord, I'm going to be vulnerable and share my story. And if it's about me being defensive and I look immature, fine, <laughs> whatever. <laughs> But something really significant happened. Uh, like I said, that was the catalyst for for an even bigger story. And so Roseanne's going to share her part of this story. I don't know if it's bigger, but it, it definitely is that interweaving that we were talking about. Because when I read your email, I was on the one hand, like really excited for you and really in awe of how God had worked that whole situation and how he had met you. But I was also aware of this unpleasant (laughs) reality in my own heart of this envy that was there. And that kind of sparked. I'm like, no, I I don't want to go there. And I sense the Holy, I was like, Lord, please forgive me. And I just sense the Holy Spirit going, no, wait, look at that look at that. What's going on? And why are you feeling envious? And as I was just bringing to the Lord, what was happening in me that was not godly at all. What I realized was I felt envious that you had actually, you'd had this prayer answered and it was over something that felt on the one hand, like really core to your journey. But on the other hand, it's like, like you said, it's like a basketball game. And and so it's like, why is it easy? The question I had was, why is it so easy for you to do something like that? The things that feel like they really matter, you say no to. Not that this didn't matter because it did. It was so much more than just the basketball game for you. And I knew that, but the Lord just started really stirring in my heart and asking, what is it that you really want? And I was just like, life is hard. No, Roseanne, what is it that you really want? Because you haven't talked to me on that level for a while now. 
And it was true. I had hit a point a few years earlier where I felt like when we went through the aftermath of the divorce, and of course I had prayed for years that things would improve with that and it didn't. And then praying as that God would meet us in the midst of it and things remain grindingly hard for a long time. And we just, we hit a crisis point where I was just done. I felt like I had said everything there was to say Mm -hmm. and it didn't make a difference. And so it was just shut down, keep going. I'm not turning away from God, but it's, I don't have anything left to say to you that hasn't already been said. And so I'm just going to, I don't want you to leave. I don't want to leave, but I don't know what else to say. And, and so when I got your email, it, the Lord was like, you need to actually start putting, like bringing your heart again. What do you really want? And what immediately rose up in me was, I want to, I want a home. I want my kids to have a home. When we moved from Georgia and sold our house in Georgia in 2009, We expected to, we knew we were uprooting our lives, but we didn't expect it to be so displaced for so long. So it had, it's been 14 years of displacement. We had, we had expected to buy another home right away. That didn't happen. And then the divorce happened. And then the long grinding journey of single parenting and trying to hold things together and trying to make sure the kids were okay and to try to keep the kids safe. And, and in the middle of it, we were living and we have, we had been living in the house that I grew up in, which is a hundred years old and is in really bad shape. And there were my, I had kids who were (laughs) allergic to it. So it was like literally making them sick. And, but beyond that, it was the displacement of it all. And so when I put that out there, it was terrifying because I thought, what is the point of asking for this if you're not going to do it? Because you you haven't, this isn't the first time. (laughs) And I think that's one of the hard things about prayer is how do I, if I've already put my heart out there again and again, and you've said no, and you're God, and I do believe you know better, you know more about this than we do, and that's your prerogative and all of that. But what's the point to keep talking? Yeah. And I think that's where I was stuck at yeah, that point when I, I got you. I think that's something that we're not, as a body of believers, we're not willing to talk about that the we cavalierly say that God is sovereign in his yes and his no, but we don't actually deal with the pain of the no and the sort of cascade of things that happen internally with that repeated no, particularly in something like if God had said no to the basketball game, I might've been disappointed for a day, but I would have enjoyed the summit. And, but when you're talking about something that is so life critical as the place that you live and keeping your kids safe, like these are things that the no is really costly. You feel that every day. And so- 
it tests your faith in a way that's just excruciating at best and catastrophic maybe at worse. And how did you, I'm interrupting you a little bit, but how, how did no. you keep going with that? No, over 14 years. I think initially I tried to focus on, okay, the, I, because I didn't know it was going to be 14 years. So initially okay. I still had the hope that it was going to resolve sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And, and so I thought, okay, we're just not there yet. It'll happen in a few years. Let's get this leveled out. And then instead of things leveling out, like the next shoe would fall. And it really for, for a while there, for about, let's see, from 2009 until 2017, so eight years, it was like dominoes. It was just, it was like one thing after another. I think we'd get through one thing and the next worst thing would happen. And so there was no stability for all that time. And actually it was 2018. It was 2018. So yeah, so nine years. And it was just, you keep holding on, you keep putting one foot in front of the other. And the thing that I kept saying to the kids when they, they'd say, we're never going to get out of here. I was like, sooner or later, you will grow up. And you will live someplace else at some point. Like you know, <laughs> seasons do change. I don't know why this one is lasting as long as it is, yeah. but seasons do change. And I've been through enough really hard, long seasons. I spent nine years yeah. with an autoimmune disease that looked like it was going to take my life or be the rest of my life. And yeah. it didn't. And so I, yeah. seasons change. And I know that, but yeah. in the middle of a season that's that long and that hard, and you don't know how long it's really easy to just get into the survival mode of, and there's pros and cons to that. It's easy for someone outside to say, well, you're in survival mode. You should do X, Y, Z. If you're surviving, survival mode is what you have the resources for. Like sometimes you, that's actually the best you can do. <laughs> and so it's just, it, even there, it's, it's a daily just holding on to, the manna for the day, God's provision mm -hmm. for the day. And I didn't want my right. kids to grow up being ungrateful. And I want, I still wanted them to have perspective that in the middle of everything that we were going through, it, there were things that could have been worse. We did have a roof over our heads. Yeah. Was the house making us sick? Yeah. Yes. Did we have to worry <laughs> about being evicted? No. I, I knew people who were, I knew women right. who right. lost their children. Like, like they lost custody of their kid. That's a huge deal for victims of domestic violence yeah. of why women don't leave. Right. Because if they don't have a place right. to live that's safe, they, they can lose yeah. custody of their children. And so right. I think that was one thing like that did help me keep perspective. Like I could still see God's, I could see God's provision, but there was this question of, and I've been in a, I've been in a developing country. I've spent time in Haiti. You know, what we were living in, as difficult as it was, like I could, I have seen worse. I've seen the slums of yeah. Haiti, but it did create a real tension 
particularly in a nation that tends toward either prosperity gospel or a rejection of prosperity gospel that doesn't find a middle ground of wanting to support. Often there's in a rejection against prosperity gospel, there can be a failure to support dignity and safety and good living conditions for people. And there's a lot of misperceptions. There's the assumption that if you're in that situation, it's because of something you did. And, and so we felt that there was the wrestling with that too. When in reality, I was working six jobs at what, for a number of those years and trying to stay present with my kids connected. And so it was, yeah, it was a grueling, it was a really grueling time. So when the Lord started saying, I want you to like put your heart out here again, I was like, yeah, I don't know about that. <laughs> I can trust you in suffering. I can. I've done it before. I can. But don't ask me to hope for more because that's it's a risk. interesting. Yeah, that's an interesting concept that it's in some ways easier to trust God in suffering than it is to trust him in hope. Yeah. Because you've got more to lose maybe i don't know but i think that's a that's common it's hard to hope yeah uncertainty is worse that i can remember can't remember who i said it to who whether it was a counselor or like a spirit some like spiritual leader that i said it to at one point but i said despair is easier than uncertainty and she was like, really? And I said, yeah, because there, you don't have anything at risk at that point. <clears throat> yeah. So it was, so having the Lord just go say to me, go ahead and put out there, put what your desire is. And as I did, it was almost explosive. Like it, it was such a visceral, this is what I want. This is what I really want. And, and I sat with that before him for a few weeks. And then I felt like he said, all right, you need to have other people praying with you. This is going to be something that I want to do in community. And so I shared it with a few friends and they were like, yes, we want you out of that situation. We we will yeah. pray with you. And and they also yeah. pushed me to do to check on some things and to look at what kind of help and options might be there. And basically, I've told you this <laughs> when I did, I found that I can either afford the kids or I can afford a house. So I chose the kids. <laughs> like it, but but in the <laughs> middle of that, it was I was Lord, all right, I've done what you asked me to do. It's not possible. We've seen, and Annie said, no, that's, I wanted you to know that. Like when I do this for you, it will be because I have done this for you. Like you can't make this happen. This is going to be me. And this is going to be me showing myself to your children as well as to you. That was almost scarier because it's one thing for me to trust him in uncertainty, but to ask them to hope. And not be able to control what they would do with disappointment was even, it was even scarier. And so when I approached them, we had a family conversation and I put this out there. 
I want us to begin praying about this. They were all like, mm, okay, yeah, that's not going to happen. We know that's not going to happen. We've, it was at that point we had been through four times, three times, three times of having our hopes raised and it just never came, went anywhere. And so they were resistant to that. But as we began praying to get, mostly I began praying <laughs> in their presence. Eventually there was more of an openness to that. And I said, we're like, I believe this is going to happen. And so we began packing at that point. We began packing things like getting rid. I said, if we're going to move, it's a big deal. So we're going to get rid of things we don't need. And we are going to, we're going to start packing anything that we want to keep, but necessarily don't need hands on day to day. So we did start clearing out the attic and clearing out our closets and that, that process took place for, let's see, the summit was 2022. March so, 22. Yeah. <clears throat> so it, was, it ended up being a year and a half of going through that. Mm-hmm. It was a year. Really, it was a year before, before we actually really started seeing visible movement. We started that quiet process mm-hmm. of, of clearing out. And then my dad had a TIA. My dad had been very resistant. Like as my parents were getting older, my brothers and I had been very concerned about them staying in the property that they were in. And I live in the house that I grew up in. They live in the house that my dad grew up in, which is right around, Mm -hmm. was right around the corner. And And so he had a lot of emotional ties to that house and, and there's also a familiarity where you don't see things anymore. Like you, you have the impression of what was not what is. And so there was, he wasn't able to keep up with the maintenance. So the house that he was living in was not the house he, it was not in the same shape as the house he had grown up in. And, and so my brothers and I had been concerned and my mother was very stressed over how hard it is to keep up with 200 year old houses. And, and when we initially approached him uh, just about, these were two separate things, like his downsizing, that was a totally separate thing from the other at when the conversation started, he was not open at all to moving to even considering moving. And, and then when last January, he had a very minor TIA, no residual anything, but that sparked another conversation with my two brothers and mom and dad. And this time we gave him all of the same arguments we had given him a year before (laughs) or a year and a half before. And it was just, and my kids went into it going, granddaddy's never going to do this. He's, he's not going to do this. Yeah. And right. instead, like the Lord just did something and dad was like, okay, then we need to move. And we were all like, wow, really? 
And in my brain, it's so much so that my brothers were even like, are you agreeing that this is a good idea to think about? Or are you actually agreeing to do something about it? Because <laughs> anybody who knows my dad knows daddy does not ever, ever make decisions quickly. <laughs> not ever. I've seen people who have made life decisions faster than it takes for him to choose something on a menu at a restaurant. So, <laughs> I mean, this is just not how he does things. And, and so when we put out the plan that my brothers and I had talked about of what if we sold both houses mm-hmm. and we bought a place that would be large enough for me and my kids and for you with the expectation that I will, I'll then be able to take care of you as you age because both of my brothers have they're local but they both have one has five children and then two foster children that are young that they're now rearing and then my other brother has seven young children so and my kids are teenagers in college age so it makes sense from that standpoint but when he agreed to this all of a sudden it was like oh my goodness this is actually happening. We're going to be able to move. And because of the way that we ended up, the finances needed to work for us to come together because they're retired. So they don't have income. I did have income, but they had assets. We, and how we did everything, I'm going to end up ultimately by purchasing the house. Like we're purchasing it, Mm -hmm. then I'm purchasing their part from them. And, and so I was going to end up actually owning a home. And that was huge. Like for a single mom who's poured everything into taking care of my kids for the last 14 years, that was a huge deal for the Lord to work that out. But it didn't come easily. (laughs) Even when we, even reaching this point, it didn't come easily. (laughs) I, I remember when, yeah, I remember when you, shared with us about that conversation with your brothers and your mom and your dad and thinking, wow, God has provided a solution. That's so amazing. And thinking that we're almost there. We're almost <laughs> there. We were just getting started. <laughs> yeah. And it looked like we were almost there. It looked like within weeks, I had yeah. been watching the market for a year, over a year and, and, So in a matter of weeks, we found a house that literally was everything that had been on our checklist, everything, price rate, everything. And we, our bid was accepted. Everything seemed to be coming together. And then we got the home inspection report. Yeah. And there were very expensive problems that were there. And there was a long period of trying to negotiate that, trying to figure out, all right, do we hold on? Is that what the Lord is saying to do? Do we just wait? What kind of in the middle of all of it going, Lord, what are you doing? And I think what happened in the, in the process was it went from what are you doing in this situation to, okay, what are you wanting to do in us? What things are you surfacing in us? And And one of the things that the waiting really did for me was made me think in a whole new way about refugees and displaced people, because Mm. I had, I was really feeling the weight of 14 years of displacement 
and I wasn't in a different culture. I wasn't in unsafe in like crime ridden circumstances. It wasn't like violent circumstances. And if I was being this burden and this torn and just the stress of living in limbo for so long, it just really gave me a heart for people who are in far worse conditions and living in that way Mm. uh, of being able to see their struggle from a whole new place and to pray accordingly. But I think another thing that it did was it also made me really aware of God's, what it must, like the ache that must be present, like God's able to absorb everything, right? But uh, for him to, for him to be waiting for the fullness of creation to be, there's a sense in which it's done, but it's also, he's also present with us in the waiting. And so that awareness of his longing to make a home for his children and for the redemption of all things, like really became, it became a place of invitation. Like the Lord saying to me, as hard as this is right now, I'm giving you a window into something that's in my heart. I'm letting you see into my heart, my longing for this, for you, for all of your people. And, and when I give you your home, this longing for the fullness still remains in me. And so that was another thing that was really going on in my heart during that time. That strikes me as you talk about that, that God gave you this unusual way to share in his suffering. That's what I hear you saying. And I think as parents, we get a glimpse of that because when our kids, nothing hurts more than watching your kids hurt. And here is God coming alongside of you and sharing in the pain of waiting for, as you said, the fullness of his creation to be realized. And he's been doing that since the fall. He's been living in that frustration. And when he shares his heart with us like that, I think that's, again, this relational prayer that Larry is talking about, that that's what's possible when we share our heart with him. He then shares his heart back to us. And it's such a honor and a privilege to join in in those realities. I, I don't know that I've ever heard that part of your wrestling. That's just really beautiful that God would even in the midst of that, no, that painful, no, or wait, it's not time yet that he would come and be with you in that kind of way. Yeah. And ultimately that house did fall through. And so then there was all of the question of, all right, are we just like, how do we know how we're being led? There was all of that that followed that was really difficult. And that almost led into a real it was a, it, it was just a really dark wearing season and, and yet we continued to go ahead and pack. The kids were really wrestling with, we actually opened our hearts to this. And right. once again, it's been devastated. And so we don't even want to look at anything 
else as a possibility. And we explored a variety of possibilities. We started wondering, are we supposed to build instead? What are all of these things? And as we were going through that and continuing to look at houses, there were two that came on the market all of a sudden at the same time. And I was really drawn to one and the kids were really drawn to the other one. And even that, even that experience was part of God's working in our heart to uncover and draw us near because as we sat down, I realized like we were talking at each other. We weren't talking to each other and, and we had to sit down and say, okay, why? My daughter was actually the one who asked me, why are you having such a visceral fire for one and rejection of the other? And, and I realized that one made me feel safe and the other had things about it that were very trauma triggering to me. And, and the same thing was happening with my children, but in reverse, there were elements about one house that were triggering to them. And, and the other one felt for me, the, the one that they liked felt it was going to need a lot of work, like the one that we were currently living in. Whereas to them, it was open. It was the the other one was had rooms that were distinct from one another, which is like the house that we had been living in. It was older from that standpoint. And so they really wanted a spacious kitchen. That was very important to them. They wanted an open, a, a kitchen that was open to the living space because we all like to cook. We like to be together. The house that we had been living in, like as soon as you got more than two people in there, you were stepping on each other. And, and they, I think for them, an open kitchen represented access to me. And, mm-hmm. and yeah, so it, there were even things like that, that I think mm-hmm. as we look at relational prayer, like there were things I think in this journey that kept bringing me back to what does it mean to be embodied in my faith, Mm -hmm. to not be spiritualizing Mm -hmm. or band-aiding things, but to actually be present in a physical body and to be bringing that totality of who I am as a human being to God and in the way that I engage with others and engage my situation And so we actually had ended up having some really good conversations that came out of that. It looks like the door was opening one, one of those houses. And then again, failed an inspection report. And it was just like, is this ever going to happen? What is this whole thing about Lord? (laughs) What is this thing? And so it, that we pulled back. And I went through a really dark period at that point where it was just like, this feels like you're playing with us at this point. Yeah. It just, I honestly, it feels like you're playing with us and, right. or worse yet, maybe all of this is simply a creation of my own desire. This isn't you at all. Mm-hmm. This is me protecting, right. you know, how do I even know you're in this? How do I even know that you are? I mean, every every cult in the world thinks that they have the corner on God and being led by him. And so like, that was the kind of mind battle that I was going through at that time. And, 
and my spiritual formation group was just so lovely. We met together and they just let me be an absolute angry, frightened, raging mess and despairing mess in their presence. And they just held me there. They just, they just held me there. And I met with them. I was in this bad place and I felt, I don't even know whether this is like, how do we even know anything about how God leads or what he's doing? It just feels like we're just projecting, you know, into the void or whatever. And, and while I was in that meeting with them, I got a text from our realtor. We had an appointment for that afternoon to go see a house And she texted and said, I actually think there's another one that we need to go see instead. It just came on the market. I only saw it last night. It's already got so many bids that they're closing bids at five o'clock today. And so I think we need to go ahead and see it. And I thought, okay, whatever. (laughs) I was not like, I was not primed for this at all. I'm like feeling like the spiritual mess right now and feeling very jaded. And we pulled up to this gorgeous brick home and I'm thinking, okay, there's no way this is going to feel really, is this in the budget? Is this it? And it was the same as the houses we had been looking at. So then my question was, what's wrong with it? (laughs) This is a lot nicer than everything else that's been in the budget. So yeah, we've already went and gone through two failed inspection reports. So what's wrong with it? And, and we went through this house and it was just, I, I was aware it was gorgeous, but I had this weird sense that I had been there before. And so as I'm walking around the house, at one point, the realtor said, okay, let's go upstairs now. And I said, okay, the stairs are over, they're over there. Like, how did I know that? And so we went upstairs and as we came back down, I suddenly had a flashback of 2009, the year that we moved to Rock Hill, we were attending a church on Saturday nights. And a high school classmate of mine that I had not seen in 15 years and 40 pounds for both of us. So it was amazing that she she recognized me. They normally went on Sunday mornings. This time they were there on a Saturday night. She recognized me. We reconnected. They had us over for dinner and it had been at this house. Her husband was a builder and had built this house. And so I re- I realized that and the flashback that I had was of the evening that we had first had dinner with them and they had been telling us about a particular like devastating situation in their life where they mm-hmm. they followed what the Lord told them to do. He led them to do something and it seemed to lead right off a cliff. Their lives imploded in many ways and the story that I had that flashback over that she had been telling in the kitchen was how in the middle of this situation, she had been crying out to the Lord. I need you to make clear that this is you, that we're hearing from you. How do I know that in the middle of the situation? 
and she was going through a drive through And the thing the Lord had been saying for months to her was just keep moving forward. Just keep moving mm-hmm. forward. And as she's crying out to him, as she goes through this drive through and she's just sobbing, the guy who hands her food has tattooed on his arm. Just keep moving forward. <laughs> and so as I'm coming down these stairs and I have this flashback, it, I just, it was like, oh my goodness, I have to get in touch with Christine because this like really feels significant. And so I did, I Facebook messaged her that, that night. We put in a bid on the house. It, mm-hmm. the other places we had been looking at would have required us to either bu- build an apartment for mom and dad in the garage or in the basement. This was done. This was all yeah. done, ready. Beautiful. And so I, got reached out to my former classmate that night. And I told her that we had looked at the house and, and mm-hmm. said, I had this flashback. She was currently going through something that she said, I, the Lord knew I needed that reminder today. <laughs> so thank you. So this is the interweaving, yeah. like you and your tickets. Yeah. And then, yeah, all of this. And then the flashback for me. So I'm trying with having been through two situations that look like they lined up and they didn't, I'm like, we're moving forward, but I'm trying not to be too invested. And so the, and then the day that we got the final inspection report back on this house and it was clear, I suddenly realized it was the 10 year anniversary of the divorce decree where I had walked away from the hope of all home ownership and And that day I had been listening all along to an album called Faithful that was done in just before the pandemic, a collective of female artists had gotten together and had done all this songwriting and, and together. And so there had been songs in there during this journey, like the detour is the road or like one of the, you've been good to me. I can dare to hope. I will choose to believe when the way is dark and cold. Like there are things that had sustained me throughout that time. When I realized that, okay, this is the 10 10 year anniversary. I went back to that album and a new song had dropped. And it, I don't know if I've even told you this part. I didn't know this now. It's based on Psalm 68, five and six about God being, a defender to the fatherless and a husband. And so this is for you as well, Carlene, the defender of the fatherless, the husband of widows. And one of the things that they talked about was like of the abandoned, not just widows, but the abandoned. And the song is a place for you. And we're going to link it in the show notes, but I lose it. I just lose it. Every time I hear this song It's so tender still, because um, it talks about in there about safe place, having a safe place for your children, for you, the protection, all of the things that underneath that prayer, that surface prayer for a house that worked, those were the underlying questions that God wanted to answer for me. And this is, we're not in heaven yet. We've talked about that. We're, like he hasn't returned. All things are not made new. The yeah. night that we moved into this house, yeah. we had a flood. 
that had to be dealt with. (laughs) And yet in the middle of, there's been a lot of points of chaos in the just few weeks we've been here. Yet in the middle of it, I literally, I wake up every morning, like just grateful for his provision and trusting that that this place that we have named all of our houses in every place we've lived, we've named this one Aruka Oasis. Aruka is the Hebrew word that means to rebuild what is destroyed and demolished, to to heal what has been broken and torn down. And and that this is a place not that we're praying will not only be that for us, but mm-hmm. that we can actually make that for others as well. Yes. Well, and I, I just want to, as, as someone who's privileged to be part of the team of people who were praying and, and holding on to hope when it was so dark, and it was a really long process from the moment you asked us to pray till now, and who saw the pictures of all the different options, and they all seemed good at the time, and yet this place that God has prepared for you is so much better than any of the other options. Like it's absolutely beautiful. One of the things that I am so grateful for is that you get to live in a place that is beautiful. It's just beautiful. And just like in a different way, this gift feels extravagant because it is so much better. Like it's worlds apart from the house that you were in, but it's also just head and shoulders better than anything you had looked at until this just dropped in your lap so suddenly. Mm -hmm. And it just echoes all over the place of the way God. And I remember just, maybe it was just a week ago being on the phone with you and your kids were laughing and having fun in the kitchen and just lighthearted. And we were talking about work issues and all of a sudden you just stopped and said, just listen to that. Just listen to their laughter because they just have a carefree experience of life that is new because of this place. And so there's just so many ways that this and of course, with your parents, there's so many ways this has been such a gift. And it's just a beginning, I think. Um, yes, for sure. For sure. And throughout it, the Lord, because we are blending households and all of that. And there have just been really sweet things that the Lord has done, like giving conversations with somebody else who is doing that. Yeah. And in the way that we've had to work through in our relationship, there have been family dynamics. Anytime you do, you run into all the family dynamics. And so even seeing the Lord show up in the middle of that and really moving us toward health, toward greater love in the way that's happening in ways that hasn't always looked nice or neat. It's been messy, but, but towards something that's actually healthy instead of just looks nice on the surface and really is underneath. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a huge, yeah, it's been a very multifaceted. And I think the big thing was walking away from that and the conversation with Christine, I was like, okay, all this stuff in my head 
that was like clamoring for, is this true? How can I try? It's okay. That just got so blown out of the water because only God, <laughs> right? Only God could have like worked all of the pieces and all of the people and all of the facets of this. That uh, random guy who got a tattoo, whatever day that was years and years ago. No, exactly. Yeah. So the, the thought that at the point where my life yeah. was falling apart and I didn't right. know it yet, I didn't even right. know how bad it was going right. to get. He was all, already preparing a place for yeah. us. Yeah. And yeah, so it, it has been, I hope for our listeners, I hope if you are still waiting, there's still something you're waiting for, or if there is a loss, because I really, I've lost a child. There are, there are losses where there's not going to be like just a happy ending coming. Like there has to be something else in which he meets you. I've been there too. I know what that is. Is my prayer for you today is that you will be able to do what Larry talked about and to present whatever is truly going on, whether it's envy or resentment or doubt or fear or longing or like feeling abandoned, whatever's actually going on that's behind the thing that you're asking for, the questions that are there. You'll be able to present all of that. And you'll be able to actually attend to how you're seeing God and how you're seeing yourself in relationship with him and not cover that with any kind of spiritual band-aids at all, but to just bring that as it is and to let him like purge out the lies and the deception and, and to reveal himself to you in a fresh new way and be able to bring all of that to him and encounter him in the goodness that he is. And, and not just like your sustainer in suffering, but also as the giver of good gifts. Yeah. Yeah. I think the, and and just to reiterate again, the starting place is to just be where you are to come as you are. That's really what, God wants is all of you. It feels really risky, whether it's something as trivial as a basketball game or something as vital as a safe place to live. It's the risk is worth it because God is weaving this incredible tapestry and he's graciously and kindly giving us these opportunities to see what he's doing. And until we're able to just come and trust ourselves to him, we miss so much in our sort of spiritual platitudes and good doctrine and cognitive rationalization of whatever's going on. He really wants to offer something that's fully human, addresses all of our experience, And to do that, I think the other thing that strikes me is to do that in community. There was something about me being willing to send the email, something about you pulling us all together. Roseanne has this group message. I think there's 13 people on it or something, 14 that have been, has been updated and that we've just been on this journey. She graciously invited us to be with her on this journey. And 
you talked about meeting with your spiritual formation group and them holding you in what, as you described, seemed you felt was this ugly place, this looking bad in the face of love. And yet that was so powerful. Larry talks about that in all his books and it feels counterintuitive, but it really is the way God wants us to be. And he meets us in so many ways when we're finally willing to do that. So yeah, we hope that this has been a good, good story for you guys to share with us. We really wanted to make these, these stories available to you to know that as part of our larger story family, you were part of all of this that was going on starting at the summit and it continues. What, Rosie, you guys moved in about a month ago. Is that right? Has it been a... It's been... Uh, it was September 28th. So okay, it's been not three right. weeks. Yeah, pretty yeah. close. <laughs> and this is real time, real life stuff that mm-hmm. is happening. And that's what we're about here at Larger Story is wanting to be part of those moments and all the moments in between. Thank you for listening. Thank you for joining with us and we look forward to next week and the conversations that we'll have next week thanks so much if you like what you heard today hit the like button just below then come back by subscribing to our podcast channel for more resources on relational spirituality go to our website at largerstory.com